Welcome to you wherever you're at, whomever you're with. We are so very glad that you are here with us for a few moments this weekend before we jump into our teaching. I do want to encourage you to check out uh, a great app called the YouVersion. It has all kinds of translations of the Bible, an abundance of reading plans on just about any topic that would be of interest to you. And if you look under events, Arlington FM, you will find a complete set of notes for this weekend's message. Well, we are in a series called The Dawn Treaders. It's uh, taken from Paul's letter to his friends in Rome. And uh, that the theme, the title, is from uh, the 13th chapter of Paul's letter, where he writes, all God's commandments are summed up in this one command. It's kind of a pinnacle uh, statement in his letter uh, to his friends. Uh, they're all summed up in this one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law of God. And do all this. Love your neighbor. Do no harm to others because you understand the present time we're in. The hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now. God is active. Uh, it's nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. And so Paul's encouragement uh, to his friends and to us is let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. And see, uh, Paul's reasoning is that through the good news of Jesus Christ, through what he did for us on the cross, his death, his resurrection, uh, his summons for us to follow him and allow him to be Lord, is he rescued us from uh, what Paul would say in another letter is the dominion of darkness. And he's brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. You know, for the Apostle Paul, as we referenced earlier in our series, uh, that uh, rescue from darkness to light was literal. Uh, he was on his way to kill Christians. Uh, he hated followers of Christ. Uh, he felt like they were an affront to his Jewish heritage. And uh, as he was on his way to Damascus, uh, Jesus literally appeared to him. The risen Lord Jesus surrounded him with light. And uh, Paul, in that moment of encountering the risen Christ, went from darkness to light. And uh, as we pointed out, uh, his religion went from very complicated to very focused. As a Pharisee, he had over 600 rules and regulations that he arduously followed to bring honor to God and suddenly in an instant that changed uh, and his focus became very singular. In fact, uh, Jesus told him, go into the city and you'll be told what to do. And that became the focus of Paul's life is uh, listening uh, to the, the command of his king and his Lord and doing that. In fact, uh, Paul's letter to his friends in Rome is really a summons to that very thing. It's a call uh, to, to decomplicate uh, their following of Jesus and what their faith had become and to bring it back to its focus, listening to what Jesus tells them to do and doing that. In fact, he says in his opening words in chapter 1, uh, through Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. We've got a mission, a purpose, to call all of the Gentiles or all the nations to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And see, for Paul, a faith equals obedience. That if our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord is genuine, 
uh, it will be demonstrated by our obedience to him. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like this, this wake-up call. It's time to quit living in darkness. The night's almost over. The day is almost here. Uh, I, I kind of uh, compare it to a, a really good basketball team. Uh, they've had success, but suddenly they're, they're in a game where they've met their match, and uh, they're being challenged in ways that they hadn't all season. And uh, they start doing things that are unlike them. Uh, they start playing selfishly, uh, jacking up three-point shots, you know, uh, not really uh, working within their system. And the coach kind of watches it for a while. They dig themselves a hole. They get behind substantially. And at the right moment, the coach calls a timeout, brings them over, uh, doesn't say a word, just looks around the huddle. Uh, allows them to make eye contact with him and each other, and, and then he, he makes it clear, this is not who we are. This is not what we do. Uh, this is not our style. And uh, if you can take that and, and bring it into what Paul's doing with his friends in Rome, he's calling time out. He's saying, look, the way you're, you're following Jesus uh, is not really following Jesus. You've drifted away from the obedience that comes from faith, and that's not who we are. You're going back to the night, to the darkness. Come on, let's get into the kingdom. Let's put on the armor of light. And so as Paul begins to guide his friends back to a better response to the lordship of Jesus, he points out in chapter 1 kind of the drift of all of humanity that although God has made his eternal power and his divine nature, his goodness, very clearly uh, known through creation, uh, every day the heavens and the earth and all that God has made speak to us of his eternal power and his divine nature, his goodness. And uh, Paul says humanity has suppressed that truth, drifted away from that truth, and the further people get from the influence of God, the more broken and chaotic their lives become. And at the end of all that, you know, we're cheering uh, Paul's uh, critique of broken humanity. Uh, basically, he brings down, uh, what's the best way to respond to that? And the answer is, it's not by judging and condemning broken humans, because we are of them. Uh, we are among them. In fact, Paul says uh, in chapter 2, you, therefore, speaking to his friends who had faith in Jesus, you have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you're actually condemning yourself. Because when you pass judgment, you're doing the same things. You're drifting from the revelation of God. You're designing your own devotion that looks nothing like what God is bringing about. He says, now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things, it's based on truth. But when you and I, mere human beings, pass judgment on others, and yet do the same things, do we think somehow we'll escape God's judgment? Uh, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, his forbearance, his patience, not realizing that all of these responses to broken humanity is meant to do one thing, to lead us to repentance, uh, to provoke in us a desire to kind of lay down our own uh, prerogatives, 
to lay down our own designs about what religious devotion looks like and to embrace God's, uh, to align with him. A repentance is a heart that's open uh, and a mind that's receptive to the truth of God. And, uh, you know, it would bring to mind what Jesus said, stop judging others in order that you will not be judged. Well, uh, if you're anything like me, when there's something painful or uncomfortable that has to be dealt with, uh, I like it to go quickly. In fact, uh, if I have to go in for a procedure, uh, usually I'll say, just put me out until it's over. Uh, I don't want to lengthen or uh, elongate the process. And, you know, it can kind of be that way when uh, Paul deals with an uncomfortable subject. Like, why in the world would Christians who've been forgiven of everything, uh, why would they turn around and judge others uh, whose lives uh, they deem as being uh, worthy of judgment? Uh, I, I, I want to just face that, accept it, it, that's true, and head on, move on, get forward with something else. Uh, it reminds me of a friend of mine who... Um, about a year and a half ago, was diagnosed with prostate cancer. And uh, as he began a series of treatments, procedures, really invasive ones, uh, I remember after the very first one, uh, he reported to me, I never want to do that again. Uh, I wish that were all there was. I, I never want to have to face that level of discomfort again. But the reality is, uh, he had many procedures after that over the next year and a half. And the truth of the matter is, those procedures saved his life. Uh, if he didn't deal with those difficult and uncomfortable uh, processes, uh, he would have died from the cancer that had invaded his body. Well, uh, it's kind of like that with Paul addressing his friends in Rome. They had drifted away from the lordship of Jesus and expressing their allegiance to him by loving others sacrificially the way that they have received love from Christ. Uh, and Paul uh, feels like that's a cancer of the worst kind. And it has to be dealt with. And it can't be uh, just uh, addressed in a sentence or two. And so uh, after these words about the kindness of God, being meant to lead us to repentance. Paul goes on. He says in verse 5, uh, uh, well, uh, let me preface that uh, before we get to Paul's words. He would have been very mindful of the teaching of Jesus. Uh, when Jesus talked about not judging others, he told a story. He said that to some who were confident of their own righteousness, they were confident of their standing with God, and they looked down on everyone else Jesus told this story. Uh, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a, a Pharisee, a devout religious man. The other, a tax collector, a, a, a sinner by category. The Pharisee stood by himself, and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, like robbers or evildoers or adulterers. He, he put your own categories in the list, or even like this tax collector over here. Rather, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. See, he pointed to his own religious devotion and the things that he felt gave him merit before God. And Paul, obviously, would have been mindful of that teaching of his Lord Jesus Christ as he writes these words. Uh, he says, rather than coming to repentance, 
uh, through the kindness of God, because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, uh, you might even say those words out loud, and own them because of my stubbornness and my unrepentant heart, uh, your unrepentant heart, Paul says, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. See, here was the truth. The kindness of God expressed through Christ was not leading them to repentance. The forbearance or the long-suffering of God was not producing a like response in them towards people. The patience that God extended to them in the midst of their brokenness was not being replicated in them through their lifestyle. While they were claiming to be children of the light, they were claiming to be dawn treaders, uh, moving towards the kingdom that Christ initiated. They were still living in darkness by their judgment and critical attitudes toward others. And, and Paul is essentially saying this, look, it really doesn't matter what we say we believe. It actually, uh, what it really comes down to is what we do in our response to Jesus Christ. Uh, Here's, here's how Paul says that. He says, look, God will repay each person not by what they believe or what they say they adhere to, but according to what they've done uh, to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. And so uh, Paul is here saying, look, uh, our confessions uh, are not what really matters. It's our behavior. It's our persistently doing good, i.e. seeking to live out the one command that sums up all of the expectations of God, that we would do no harm to our neighbors, that we would love others as we love ourselves, and that we would demonstrate uh, the sacrificial love towards even the broken that Jesus Christ demonstrated for us. He goes on, he says, uh, but for those uh, who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and who follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Uh, so for those who do not respond to others the way that Christ gave himself to them, they're actually storing up wrath and anger. And, and maybe as you hear those words, you think, well, I'm not self-seeking. Uh, I don't reject the truth to follow evil, but here's Paul's point. Uh, if we are judging and condemning people for any reason, we are indeed rejecting the truth, and we're following evil. I uh, hear that again. Uh, we may think of ourselves, well, I don't reject the truth. I'm not self-seeking. I'm not following evil, but uh, Paul's point is this. Uh, if we're not giving ourselves to others to demonstrate the love that Christ uh, gave for us, we are indeed suppressing the truth. We're seeking our own will, and we are following evil. Uh, Paul would say, let me say it a different way. He said there will be trouble and distress for, uh, get this, every human being, regardless of our faith proclamations, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, uh, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Now Paul begins to set up these two categories. You have the, the people of God, the Jews, the religious folks, and then you have the nations, 
the irreligious, uh, those who, uh, in the Jews' mind, were unclean. Uh, they lived reprobate lifestyles. And Paul begins to set up this contrast. Uh, everyone's going to receive repayment for what they did. Uh, but there will be glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then this important statement, for God does not show favoritism. Uh, you know, Paul would write elsewhere, uh, God is not tricked. God is not mocked. You know, we can uh, go through religious motions, but if in our hearts we're not eager to demonstrate the love that uh, Christ poured out for us, uh, God's not uh, deceived. He's not mocked. He sees exactly what's going on behind the scenes. And God does not show favoritism. He doesn't judge one category of people different than others. Uh, he looks at all people the same. And uh, he looks to see what's really coming out of their hearts. Uh, here's kind of a summary of Paul's words thus far. He's basically saying, look, if we keep judging and condemning people that we don't agree with or approve of, then there will be hell to pay. Uh, these are Paul's words. Uh, there'll be trouble. There'll be wrath. There'll be judgment that comes from God if we don't align with his will and uh, really pursue the one commandment that sums up all the others, uh, to do no harm to others to speak no evil of others, to not slander and cut down and marginalize and devalue others, but rather to do just the opposite to the unconditional love that we express toward people. And uh, here's a point, a procedure that Paul begins to zero in on, and it will, it will really carry through the rest of his uh, amazing letter to his friends in Rome. And uh, here's, the, here's the issue that comes to light. It's one of living with a sense of religious superiority. Uh, listen to that again. Uh, one of the main issues in Paul's letter to his friends in Rome who had uh, gotten away from living in the kingdom of light and were re retaking on the behaviors and the attitudes of darkness through their divisiveness is they were living with a sense of religious superiority. And Paul identifies it as one of the worst cancers of the human soul and spirit, that when we uh, believe that because of our standing with God that somehow we're better uh, than others, uh, keep in mind, God shows no favoritism, uh, that living with that looking down on others that we categorize as being far away from God or, or uh, worthy of God's judgment, uh, despising them, that we've actually invited a cancerous growth into our soul and into our spirit. And this is always lethal. As you follow Paul's logic, this kind of orientation towards others is a cancer of the soul that must be cured. It must be aggressively, those procedures, those invasive things that are meant to rid us uh, of these attitudes and outlooks. Uh, this is what Paul does in his letter. It basically saying, look, it doesn't matter what we believe, who we hang out with, how much we study God's truth, how much truth we think we know, 
this outlook on others judging and condemning others will always override any effort we make towards spiritual health, and it must be rooted out. Uh, God is not more favorably inclined towards me because of uh, where I go to church, who I hang out with, how I vote, what platforms I uh, am passionate about. Uh, though all those things can matter if they're sourced in faith, hope, and love, God is not more favorably inclined towards me uh, for any of those associations. God shows no favoritism. He does not judge or evaluate people differently. Uh, Paul goes on. He says, all who sin, and the emphasis is on every one of us, all who sin apart from having God's truth or God's law, they will also perish from the law. But then this, all who sin having the law, uh, having the truth, will also be judged by that truth. And so here we are, grouped together with all of humanity, falling short of God's glory. Uh, he goes on, he says, For it's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight. Doesn't matter how many sermons, messages, podcasts, tapes, books we read or listen to. It's not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. It's those who absorbing all that truth more and more align with the Lordship of Jesus Christ and uh, more and more his one great new commandment to love others as I have loved you becomes the driving force of their life. Those are the ones, Paul says, who will be declared righteous. And now, uh, kind of he goes into an amazing direction with this, these realities. God doesn't show favorites. We're all going to be judged not by what we say we believe, but by what we do and how we align with what matters most to God. Uh, Paul says, indeed, when Gentiles, uh, unbelievers, uh, those without the truth of God, when they who do not have the law do by nature things that are required by the law, they show that they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. You might translate the law there for the truth of God. Uh, when those who don't have uh, kind of the inside path that uh, those of us in the church or those of us who have embraced the revelation of Christ, there are some, Paul says, who don't have any of that. And yet, by nature, they do the things that Jesus requires. Uh, they actually give themselves for others. They seek to understand rather than being understood. Uh, they, they look to live with mercy and compassion. They care for their neighbors. They think about the folks who live down the street. They do works of kindness. Uh, Paul is saying that when God looks upon humans and how they live out their faith, there are some who actually don't have the truth, but they live in alignment with the heart of God. This is a shocking statement from the pages of the Bible. Uh, this should really cause us to step back and go, whoa, uh, maybe I misunderstood God and what he really wanted from people. Because what Paul is saying is that people without the truth are living more in line with God's heart than people who possess the truth. Uh, you know, this would, 
it'd be a valuable exercise uh, to think of someone that you categorize as worthy of judgment. And we all have our categories, by the way. But think of someone that, you know, makes you angry when you think about what they stand for. And uh, Paul is saying that, look, uh, there are people like that that we condemn and judge that are actually more in line with the heart of God than, than we who possess the truth are. Uh, Paul goes on, he says, those people who live that way show that the requirements of the law are actually written on their hearts. Their consciences are also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. He's saying uh, these people think a lot about wanting to live a virtuous life. They think about wanting to be merciful and compassionate and they realize they often fall short, but they keep trying. Uh, Paul says uh, God is actually measuring those kinds of thoughts and intentions. He says this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. And so uh, really what's coming out is uh, that Paul is saying one day when we all stand before God, uh, he's not going to look at uh, where we signed a this I believe statement or that we completed our catechisms or how many Bible studies we uh, consumed, how many messages we heard. He's going to judge people by the secrets of their hearts. And in their heart, uh, really, what he's looking for is faith and acknowledgement that God exists and that God is good and that he's full of love. And he demonstrated that his nature was fully revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, as he lived among us. You know, uh, one of the things you can't help but notice about Jesus and his time on this earth is that broken people, hurting people, flocked to him. Uh, people who were being judged and condemned by the religious elite uh, found hope and forgiveness and new, new direction in their lives by being around Jesus. And uh, you got to ask the question, uh, why did hurting broken people want to be near him? And it wasn't because they felt judged. It was because they, they felt loved. They experienced the, uh, the acceptance, the kindness, the patience of God through the person of Jesus Christ. And uh, God will one day uh, look into our hearts and see how much we synced up with that we aligned with that heart of God expressed through the person of Jesus. Well, we'll end uh, with this last procedure. Uh, Paul sees a little more cancer there, and he wants to, to eradicate it. And so he presents, uh, he says, think about this for a moment. Now, if you, uh, if you call yourself one of God's people, one of God's chosen, I'm a Jew, if you rely on the truth, and you boast in God, and I think, uh, I would hope that many of you hear this would say, yeah, I like to think of myself as one of God's people. I do rely on the truth that's been revealed through the Bible, through the scriptures, through the person of Jesus Christ, and through his church. And I do boast in God. I do trust in his faithfulness. I rely on him. I like to see myself as someone who leans in uh, to the Lordship and the, uh, the rulership of God uh, over his creation. Uh, Paul goes on. He says, so 
You're that type of person. If you know God's will and you approve of what is superior, how many of us in today's uh, day and age would like to say, yeah, I think I know what matters to God. And uh, what I approve of is typically uh, what is good, what is wholesome, and what is right. Uh, This is you. Because you are instructed by truth, you allow God's truth to enter into you. And maybe at this point you're thinking, yes, yes, uh, that would be me. Uh, This procedure isn't so bad. Uh, We're actually getting through this. Well, uh, Paul lays it on a bit thicker. He says, now, uh, if you're convinced that you are a guide to the blind, you help people understand spiritual truth, uh, you're a light for those who are in the dark, you're an instructor of the foolish, you're a teacher of little children, uh, because you have the truth, you have the embodiment and the knowledge of the scriptures, Uh, Paul is kind of setting us up. He's saying, look, if you see yourself as this uh, virtuous, godly, uh, correct, righteous person, you then, he says, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Uh, You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, Do you rob temples? You who boast in the truth or in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? And maybe you think, well, I don't do any of those things. But the truth of the matter is, we all do. And uh, Paul is saying, look, uh, if you, uh, someone who has this major break in what you believe and how you live, how in the world Uh, Can you turn and judge and condemn others? Uh, See, what Paul is describing here is an integrity breach. There's a breach between their self-perception, their sense of religious superiority, and really how far short they actually fall. It's like that guy who went up uh, to the temple to pray. Uh, He said uh, he was confident in his own righteousness, and yet he didn't realize how fallen and desperate and distant from God, he really was. And uh, here's what Paul says. If we carry on life that way, uh, confident in our own standing with God, we've actually allowed a cancer uh, to invade our spiritual and our our, uh, emotional world, and it has to be eradicated. Uh, Here's what uh, uh, Paul ends with these words. when we allow ourselves to uh, look down upon others, not realizing how far short and how desperately in need of mercy every single one of us are, he says, as it is written, uh, when you live with this kind of breach in your life, God's name is blasphemed among the nations because of you. And uh, I don't know about you, but when I read those words, uh, I go, yikes. Uh, blaspheme means to be defamed, spoken evil of, reviled, and railed against. And, uh, you know, we complain about how uh, worldly people uh, talk down at the church and faith and Christians. And uh, Paul's uh, truth is that we're the cause of that. When we look down on others, uh, we who have been forgiven so much, we who have so very far to go when we live our lives with a sense of religious superiority 
that uh, God's name is blasphemed among the nations because of us. Now, that's a hard truth. It's a difficult one to stomach, but it's one uh, that is meant to bring freedom. And, and so we'll end with these the final, uh, you know, Paul can't quite stop addressing uh, how important this is that we adjust our outlook on people. So he ends with uh, some of the marks of those who, who considered themselves religiously superior. He says, look, uh, circumcision, a sign that you belong to God, has value if you observe the law. Keep in mind, the law is summed up in this. Love others as you love yourself and love others as Jesus has loved you. Uh, but if you break the law, if you don't live like that, then you've become as though you have not been circumcised. So then, if those who are not circumcised, the pagan, despicable unbelievers, if they keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded from God's view as though they were circumcised, as though they did belong to God? He goes on, the one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law from his heart will condemn you, who even though you have the written code, you have the truth, you have the scriptures, and you have the marks of being belonging to God, and yet don't live his most basic command. He says a person who is not a Jew, who is one uh, only outwardly, uh, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. Now here's his point. No, a person really belongs to God and is one of his chosen, uh, who is one inwardly. And the kind of circumcision that God is looking for is of the heart. It's by the Spirit. It's not by a, a set of commands and rules and regulations. Uh, such a person's praise is not from other people. It's from God. And see, Paul is saying, look, folks, uh, spiritual health is possible, but it involves a procedure. And uh, it's inward. It's in the heart. It's removing that which distances us from God. It's laying bare, making sensitive that part of us that really wants what God wants, and we allow it to, to shape our, our response to undeserving people, to people that we might otherwise judge or condemn. Uh, we can put aside the deeds of darkness, the slander, the gossip, the devaluing, the diminishing of, of anyone uh, based on our standards, we can put aside the deeds of darkness. We can put on the armor of light. We can choose to wash the feet uh, of people. We can choose to give ourselves to the undeserving. We can love our enemies uh, as our friends. Uh, all of the things that Jesus modeled to live out the most precious of God's commandments. Well, uh, as we pray, uh, I'm reminded of a really crazy scene uh, from the Old Testament, uh, it's from the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 10, or chapter 21, uh, where uh, God's people, uh, God's chosen, uh, the ones God called out of slavery and into his freedom, uh, they were not living like it. In fact, they were, they were complaining, gossiping, slandering God and his leaders. And so uh, there was an outbreak of snakes among them and the people began to get bitten by these poisonous snakes they were falling by the scores 
And uh, Moses cries out to God, and uh, God gives him some instruction. He says, fashion a snake, lift it up on a pole. When the people look to it, the poison will be drawn out of them, and they'll live. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, Jesus used that uh, to apply to himself. In fact, he was speaking to one of Israel's religious elite, a guy named Nicodemus, uh, who definitely uh, was living with a sense of religious superiority. And uh, Jesus said, look, you've got to start over. You've got to be born again. And uh, when Nicodemus just couldn't get his head around it, uh, Jesus said, it's like this. The Son of Man has to be lifted up like a serpent. You look to him, the poison will be drawn out of you, and you can experience spiritual health. Uh, well, Father, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for your invitation for us to be people who know your life, who live in alignment with you. And Lord, we do so many things to suppress the truth that you've revealed about yourself. Uh, we find ways to go through our religious habits and motions, not really living out your most basic command uh, to love others as we love ourselves and to pour ourselves out the way Jesus has for us. And I pray, God, uh, that this procedure, as we've dealt with this part of Paul's letter to his friends, uh, that we would allow it to, to bring health to us. Lord, if we're living in any way with a breach, uh, where we're claiming one thing, uh, but demonstrating another uh, through our attitudes, through our talk, uh, through the conversations we have, that, Lord, you see those things, those are the secrets of people's hearts that you notice the most. And uh, Lord, uh, we would just be instructed by those who know nothing of the faith, nothing of the church, and yet you know them. They're living uh, they're a law unto themselves because they're living by this conscious awareness that God is good, God is merciful, God is compassionate, and he expects us to be the same. Well, maybe as you're hearing this message, you know, this is new to you. This is news to you, but it feels like good news that Jesus Christ uh, died for sinners, that Jesus Christ loves people uh, who may be broken, who may be living uh, in darkness. And uh, you're, you're thinking today, you know, that's me. And uh, I need his light. I need his truth. Uh, you know, Paul would say it's just a confession away. If we just uh, confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we'll experience God's salvation. I want to encourage you to say that. Uh, just follow me in this prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Uh, thank you for the love that you have for people. Uh, thank you that uh, people with needs, uh, people with complex lives, uh, you're not repulsed by them. Uh, you invite us to come near to you, and I want to do that right now, Jesus. I, I come to you. I need your help. I need your leadership. I need your forgiveness. Uh, I've heard that you died on a cross and were raised from the dead. I believe that. And I ask that you would uh, begin to make your presence real in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Teach me how to walk with you in integrity. And I pray that in your precious name, in Jesus' name, amen.